The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests as individuals and do not necessarily reflect those of advertisers or sponsors. This show is intended as education and commentary only. The producers strive for verisimilitude, but nothing said on this podcast should be taken as fact by the listener or viewer without performing due diligence. While generally safe for work, some language may be considered offensive by more sensitive viewers or listeners. Alright, cans on, mic's up, level's good. You got me over there? Alright, let's roll. This is Booth to Booth, your direct line to the latest in home voiceover production. With your favorite home VO experts throughout the industry, all across the internet, and all around the world. Booth to Booth is brought to you by the Narrowband Broadcast Network, NBBN. The focus is on you. By Andrew Scott Media, making your media matter. By Booth Stuff, unique VO fashion and swag that's as loud and proud as you are. And by the kind support of our viewers and listeners all around the world via Kofi. Kofi, helping you give back to the creators that help you the most. The session clock is running and all the mics are hot. So let's patch in and get this session started. Here's your host, VO coach, narrator, and producer, Andrew Scott. And hello and welcome back to Booth to Booth. My name is Andrew Scott and I am talking today with Kylie Wayne. Kylie is a voice practitioner and voice coach specializing in voice and gender. Kylie, hi, thanks for joining us today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm gonna cop to this because I believe in full disclosure. This is the second <laughs> time Kylie and I are starting out this conversation. We had a brilliant discussion of a few things and I'm gonna to try to reiterate here, but as I am the consummate multimedia professional, I forgot to hit record. And so now I am very nervously looking and making sure all the numbers are changing and everything is good. But um, Kylie, today we're gonna to be talking about the voice and gender and gender presentation. Because one of the things that we as audiobook narrators, typically audiobook narrators, this is aimed at, you know, we're given a book and it has male presented characters and female presented characters, and sometimes, you know, a part of the spectrum in between. And generally speaking, we've got one person responsible for giving voice to and intoning for characters of different gender presentations. And it can be really easy to cross over that line from giving voice to a character to being like a ham-fisted caricature of somebody. And so there are a number of things that both I and we've got questions from the Bootcamp Discord server and from Reddit, um, we'd like to know about this. But before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and how you got into working with the human voice as a practice. Yeah, absolutely. So I started out as an elementary school teacher and I was a teacher for 10 years. And, you know, I have to use my voice all day long, every day of the week. And especially with elementary school students, I'm on the floor, I'm in different positions, I am just using my voice, screaming, yelling, yeah, you gotta whispering, use, shouting. You got to use the loud teacher's voice. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. So, relation to that, I never really had a chance to even learn about the voice, how to take care of it, how to properly nurture it. And over time, um, it had cumulative effects that amounted to um, vocal tension dystonia. And I ended up losing my voice like completely. And when I say completely, I mean like completely for three months. Yeah. And yeah, from there, um, you know, I sought out help because, you know, I'm a teacher. I need help because um, I need my voice in order to do my job. All right. And so I got connected with some professionals, some coaches, some uh, speech language pathologists. And through the work, I just fell in love with learning about the voice. And eventually I was approached by one of those individuals and they asked me if I would be interested in learning about the gendered voice and potentially um teaching it to um, individuals like in the LGBTQI plus community. Um, I've been in this community that... for a long time and I still stumble <laughs> over that. <so. 
And yeah, so with that, uh, I jumped at the chance and yeah, here we are today. And here we are today. When you talk about, when you're speaking about your dysphonia, um, you know, I want to make clear to my viewers and listeners, when we think of somebody losing their voice, we typically think of laryngitis. And laryngitis is distinctly different from dysphonia. Laryngitis is really problems with the surface, particularly the, the mucosal membranes of your vocal tract. Dysphonia is more muscular. And it's pretty much all the muscles responsible for your throat, your larynx, and your vocal cords just pretty much say, we're not working today. Come back tomorrow. Um, when you were treated for that, what was the path through that? What was, I mean, obviously you were being treated by some medical professionals, but yep. but really, you know, how did it how did it come back? How did you get your voice back after such a long time? Uh, so after working with a SLP or speech language pathologist for, you know, a few months there and I was getting nowhere. Um, that had to be immensely I, frustrating. That was, you know, you going to a professional that knows all about the pathologized voice, like voice vocal disorders. And I expected results happening, not immediately at first, but at least measurable over a few months. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't noticing much of anything. Um, so I sought out help from um, coaches, um, like in the theater community instead. And what they had to offer me was immensely more um, beneficial um, to my healing and progress. Uh, so one thing that actually for myself that had a huge effect was actually, um, imitation, um, for myself. Um, I actually love the character, uh, Alexis Rose from Schitt's Creek. If you've ever seen it <laughs> or heard of it. Yes. And so, you know, watch the program and, you know, just imitate her voice, her mannerisms, everything. And it was incredible because on the first try, my voice came back. And it was clear, it was bright, it was everything that it had always was before. That is crazy. Um, yeah. No, don't get me wrong. It wasn't just like back permanently. I had to work to get that sure. back and I had to do a lot of imitation. But, but really on, I, on your so, first attempt to suddenly be able to vocal, vocalize, to vocal, like that's a thing. Um, <laughs> the, the, for, to, on the first attempt to be able to suddenly make a discernible noise had to be yeah. just kind of life-changing in that moment. Like, oh my gosh, I can do this again. I just need to remember how. And it gave so much credit to just what the theater community and like, you know, the voice of our community has to offer and in terms of just knowledge and expertise that the medical community does not utilize or even sometimes respect. Yeah. And so in my perspective, like I think of voice as an art and just that's why I love working with like the gendered voices just because there's so much personality and character that goes into a voice that it's like painting breaststrokes on someone's voice. I'm so glad so. to hear you say that because I so often tell people that, um, you know, when, when we're, a, a lot of the coaching that I do is modulation, intonation, and inflection. And I try to help people visualize the movement of words and phonemes in a very musical way, because honestly, if you strip everything away, the human voice in speech is no different from the human voice in singing. It's just that the, the, the staff of notes is much smaller in voiceover. But if you, if you blow it up and compare it in, in a ratio way, they're yeah. the same. You're moving. It's, it, your, your voice is moving, and it's bringing a melody to it. And you can pick the notes out that you speak on a piano if you so chose. So the musical approach and the musical analogy to me is very, very powerful. Yeah. The one thing that you brought up, though, that I'm also a huge advocate of and, and that I teach myself is the idea of mimicry. That mm -hmm. if, you, if you really want to inhabit a different voice. The best thing to do, or the quickest thing to do, I'll say it might not be the best, but the quickest thing to do is to find a model. And then yeah. honestly, just mimic it over and over and over and over and over again, until it becomes closer to second nature. A lot of things people don't really appreciate about the human voice are that it is a muscular activity. I mean, your face has a ton of muscles in it. 
your neck, your shoulders, your chest, obviously your diaphragm being a, a very large muscle that's responsible for speech. And all muscles have muscle memory. If you do something enough times, mm -hmm. the muscle will simply remember it kind of as its default response. And if you learn to leverage that, it can make your progress towards your goal much faster. And so I'm really yeah. glad to hear that you are also a fan of mimicry and just doing things over and over and over again, kind of until it sticks. Yeah. And it's kind of one of those traits that I've personally always had since I was young. So I could like watch something on TV. I could meet a person. And if they had something like quirky about their, either their voice or their expression or just something about them, I would sponge it up so fast and I would, that'd be me for the day. Right. And so anytime I go to a theater performance and I see a character that I like, I just start talking like them about their speech pattern, maybe even their accent, their mannerisms, their quirkiness. And so it's really annoying for the people around me. I was just going to say, <laughs> will you stop that? Just, just be, no. be normal. Uh, and well, look, as a voiceover practitioner, I spend a lot of my time receiving. Would you just be normal? You know, this is all really fascinating to me because one of the things that I'm a huge advocate of is finding the the nexus points, finding the crossover points between different disciplines and seeing how they either visibly or, or invisibly integrate with, with professional voice work. And there's a lot, there's so many of them, but this is something where I think people tend to look past their own voice and its needs and its limitations. Yep. And so many beginning practitioners of voiceover essentially come to me saying, I need to learn to talk good. And that's a very myopic and limited view of what you're going to be using your voice for. Would you speak a little bit to your experience with uh, the, the, the real power of being comfortable in a voice. Yeah, absolutely. So just like from my own experience too, just like with my battle of like um, vocal tension dysphonia, um, for myself, um, when I'm under stress, I notice a few different things happening in my body. I notice my, how my breathing changes. I notice different muscle groups are starting to tense. And then of course, for different people, they'll notice different things. But for me, it accumulates in different ways. And so like being on camera with you right now is a little bit stressful because, well, for myself, I've never done an interview before. So I'm even noticing myself that just my vocal folds are tensing up just like it would, you know, years ago with that vocal tension dystonia. So I still have those learned patterns in there. You still have those but, markers that kind of red flag you. Yeah. Mm. And so, but at least now I have the tools to assess and be able to bring that back. So what you, what you're not seeing right now is I am being very aware of my breathing and how I'm breathing. I'm being very aware of where that tension in my body is held and trying to release it and trying to relax it while on camera with you. I'm trying to be mindful of my tongue position and what my jaw is doing. Um, so there's so many different aspects happening right now that you don't even see that, mm -hmm. um, I need to put in to create this voice. Mm -hmm. And of course, you're also, uh, you know, trying to remember to look at the camera and you're also trying to make sure that your thing's not going to make noise. And yeah. And you know, yeah. those, I think that that's something interesting too, um, by way of, uh, moving into a discussion about stress in the human voice. And that mm -hmm. is we tend to forget how many external stresses there are yeah. on us when we're speaking, not even just voiceover, when we're speaking, we're quite often thinking about how we're going to respond. We're thinking about how somebody is going to receive what we have to say, and that might engender some tension in us. And or, oh my gosh, I've only got 10 more minutes to finish this conversation because I've got an HVAC guy coming and we're going to need to replace our entire heating system for $30,000 that we, and, you know, on and on and on. Yeah. When you're talking stress and the human voice, how <laughs> would you encourage somebody to notice because I think the big thing is we don't notice when our voice is under stress. The only thing yeah. that we often think of is our voice is sore or we're getting raspy or, you know, generating more vocal fry than we usually do. 
But there's a lot more to tension in the vocal track than just ow. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. So anywhere you're holding tension in your body, first of all, is going to come out in the voice. Doesn't matter if it's the legs, the torso, the arms. Um, So with my own clients, I actually do a little demonstration. Um, So I ask them to like tense their arms. And so nowhere close to the voice, they'll tense their arms and try to talk. It sounds very choppy. It sounds pressed. It sounds very just something's not right there. And so even though it's far away from where the vocal folds are, it's coming on the voice. So, um, yeah, that's one way that stress comes out. Um, or another way I commonly see is people that when trying to do and manipulate their voices, um, they try holding their breath. And the breath needs to be a very natural thing. The air needs to flow over the vocal folds in order to produce sound. Um, But especially when individuals trying to like raise their resonance, they treat it like they're trying to lift a heavy object and they're holding their breath. And so trying to bring it back down to just a natural, just something like, hey, your body's going to take care of the breath by itself. We don't need to manipulate the breath at all. Um, And yeah, there's just so many different nuances that are actually just, um, unique to each person. Um, there's very few commonalities between person to person, especially because everyone has different life experiences and has learned to embody that stress a different way. So as my job as a voice coach is to get to the bottom of what is happening for each person and trying to undo it, bring attention to it. Um, so in regards to trying to change resonance, one thing that we are I myself really focus on is getting my clients to focus on where they're feeling the vibrations living. So uh, we'll speak quickly about, uh, you know, tension, body tension, because mm-hmm. I teach people to be aware of it, but there are also times, particularly in voiceover where you can leverage physical tension in order to make a change in the voice that plays to the scene or the character. Um, you know, sure. you, you know, with your exercise of scrunching your arms, and that's great. I, I often, as a technique, uh, and it, it's interesting, you know, I mean, uh, we're on camera here. I'm kind of a heavy, yeah. heavy guy. Uh, a number of years ago, I lost a lot of weight. I lost about 120 pounds. And um, I noticed uh, my voice changed. My voice got probably uh, a, a third lower than it normally is. Oh. And I was speaking to an SLP friend of mine and they were like, well, yeah, of course it did. And I was like, well, wait, why? He's like, well, all this weight on your neck is pushing down on your larynx. And if you put pressure on your larynx, you pitch up. And he was just like, just take your hand and talk like this. And now you suddenly hear. And I was like, that's odd. Um, But it's absolutely true. And that just Mm -hmm. demonstrates what tension can do to the human voice for good and not so much. I think the the, the big thing, though, is that people aren't generally aware of how tension and stress, both physical stress and mental and emotional stress, can impact the voice. And I'm encouraged to hear that this is something that's kind of like it's your first it's your first order of operation. Where are the where are the points of tension? In your life, uh, in your life, not in your voice, yeah. in your life. And let's see oh. how it manifests in your voice. Couldn't have said it better myself. And like, there's another thing that's commonly overlooked is just like vocal hygiene. And what are you doing to take care of your voice before we're even using it? Mm-hmm. So like anything from like caffeine is probably one of the biggest contributors to what I see. <laughs> <laughs> well, that and uh, uh, heavy carbonation uh, acidic yeah. things, um, anything smoking, drug use, alcohol. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so I, myself, because, you know, I work with the vice much, I had to cut out alcohol. I had to cut out chocolate. I had to cut out even just in the summer. I love like going for like, um, like slushies and, mm. but I had to cut that out because, you know, caffeine's in there. And so there's so many things that you would not expect, but when you cut it out, your voice is so much more free to do what it wants to do. Yeah. And I think, you know, for all the people like me who are horrified at the idea of removing both caffeine and chocolate out of your (laughs) life, my God, woman, um, we don't give enough space 
for the potential change if you do remove something like that out of your life. Now, I was a lifelong smoker. I smoked yeah. up until uh, February 14th of 20, right at the beginning of the pandemic, because I was like, really, you know, if there's ever been a time to quit smoking, the beginning of a respiratory pandemic is probably it. Um, yeah. I noticed, and I used to always, I was one of these people where I said, well, smoking gives my voice character. Yeah, mm -hmm. I wound up sounding like Suzanne Plachette. Oh, Bob, <laughs> Bob. That change after I stopped smoking, after two weeks of not mm -hmm. smoking, my voice changed in ways that I didn't anticipate. Not necessarily just the character of my voice, but um, my ability to carry through a paragraph and breath yeah. control. And I was actually able to return to a practice that I used to use uh, when I was in band and singing in high school, and that was uh, cyclical breathing, where I would be able to be pushing a sound out of my mouth while at the same time sneaking a breath in through my nose so I could carry on an additional four, five, six words and land mm. something confidently versus kind of just petering out at the end. Um, and so I encourage my viewers and listeners that if you are having issues, I won't say trouble, but issues with your voice, you might want to expand your bubble of consideration and do some elimination practice and see if a reduction in caffeine or not eating an hour before you get in the booth or do a read or, God forbid, give up chocolate. Um, but I think that that approach is something that not enough people give space to. That, well, yes. you know, have you, have you really tried everything? Because uh, most people are going to, no, kind of, you know, and it might be worth investigating that approach. Yeah. And I often get clients as well, just asking, Hey, is there anything I can add to whatever my diet, my life that can actually, you know, give back to my voice. And there's really only one thing and it's just water intake as far as I'm concerned. So, um, for me personally, cause I'm using my voice all day, I need to drink at least a liter of water a day. And if I don't, the next day, my voice is so raspy. It is, I've got vocal fry and it's so important to keep all of our tissues hydrated. Yeah. And yeah, so. Well, I tell you what, folks, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive in to the VO specific realms of the human voice and gender here on the Narrowband Broadcast Network. You're watching slash listening to Booth to Booth. I'm Andrew Scott, and that is Kylie Wayne. And we'll be back in just a second. Don't go anywhere. Booth to Booth is brought to you in part by Boothstuff.com, the home of the world's most unique VO casual fashion and swag. You know, this thing that we do is pretty unique. So slap on a Booth Stuff t-shirt that tells the world, or, you know, your cat, that being in a tiny room by yourself is where you truly belong. Shirts, hats, pants, mugs, and more. Well, not a lot more. Actually, that's pretty much it. Anyway, Booth Stuff is the one and only home for VO-centric swag that lets the world know what you do with that mouth of yours. So head on over to BoothStuff.com and get something that shows the world who you are and what you love to do. BoothStuff.com, loud and proud. Hello and welcome back to Booth to Booth. I'm Andrew Scott and today I'm speaking with Kylie Wayne. Kylie is a voice coach who works particularly with voice and gender. And Kylie, when we were talking earlier, I had mentioned that, you know, one of the things that particularly long form narrators are tasked with, not necessarily the, you know, the monster truck VO guy, um, but people who do audiobooks, people who do long yeah. form where there are multiple characters in a read, were tasked with essentially the short form is sounding like a gender presentation that we're naturally not. And we can very easily, as narrators, fall into this trap of, well, I've got five characters that I need to voice in this story. Two are of my gender. Three are not. I need to make them be all very different. And 
we fall into this trap of making them so different that they wind up being kind of caricature-like or, or pastiches that are honestly overdone. And it's yeah. something that we, we have to watch out for because we might think it sounds great, but nine times out of 10, the listener is gonna go, really? And that's never a good thing that you won't get the second book in that deal if the listeners are going, that doesn't sound right. When we talk about voice and gender, what in your mind is the key to having a natural presentation of a voice gender that's not your natural state? Honestly, it comes down to both authenticity and practice. Um, because especially for those who are, you know, men who are trying to change their voice to that of a woman, um, we need to develop like muscles that aren't there. And that takes a lot of practice and a lot of dedication to practicing. And yeah, from there, she usually takes about three to four months of consistent practicing to get enough muscle development to be able to sustain and create such an authentic voice. Um, or at least authentic residents, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and there's so many other factors that go into um, creating a voice. So for instance, um, if I was wanting to, you know, change my voice from male to female, um, first of all, I change, I need to increase my residence. Uh, second of all, I need to uh, change my pitch. So with males, it's very habitual that males have, you know, low pitch. And it's very monotone. It's very flat. It's also can lead to like the vocal fry. And one area that I see commonly um, misrepresented is just the idea that uh, women have a higher pitch voice and that's only half true. So it actually makes an authentic sounding female voice is the pitch variance. And so it's not a consistently high voice. It's just up here because that's, you know, that Mickey Mouse kind of voice and you don't want that. So what comes from that pitch variance is just that enunciation, getting those lips moving, getting it forces the resonance and the pitch to live at the very front of your mouth. And all my all my students are rolling their eyes at this video right now because I <laughs> I am constantly teaching people the technique that I call rubber face, where you're doing things that are very exaggerated, but your your voice actually sounds more natural because it's clear, and you're just getting your mm-hmm. lips out of your way. So uh, for all my students out there, we see you. Sorry that I keep making <laughs> you do that. Um, I, I, I really am glad to hear you mention, particularly about a female presenting voice, that it's not all just about being way up here. It's, oh. it's, it's more about the variance in how the voice moves and how yeah. it modulates as opposed to a man who doesn't modulate the same way particularly Mm -hmm. due to what you pointed out. Physiologically, men and women are different in their vocal tract by way of the presentation of muscles. Men generally have a larger, thicker muscle. We have a different entrance Mm -hmm. of the muscles down into our clavicles, which is right underneath our vocal cords. And you need to physically work with these. Uh, So many people think that I can just learn how to do this voice today. No, if you're going to be doing this long term, you need to familiarize yourself with those Mm -hmm. muscles, build those muscles and help train them so that you're able to do that changeover when you need to, instead of, oh, tomorrow I got to do a female voice. So I better spend the rest of the night talking like a girl, you know? Um, what are some of the other physiological yeah. differences between masculine and feminine voices? And interestingly, in one of the questions that we have coming up, uh, we we have the question of androgyny, which I was really mm-hmm. grateful to see one of my one of my followers uh, sent me. So again, with the yeah. physical difference, what are really some of the major differences people should be aware of by way of masculine and feminine voicing? Absolutely. So with Female voice compares to masculine voice. Um, well, for men, the vocal folds are thicker, they're longer, and you know, for females, they're thinner and shorter. And you know, that's something that needs to be manipulated over time is to change that 
thickness of those vocal folds. And that takes work, that takes practice, that takes, uh, yeah, it takes a lot of dedication to be able to accomplish changing actual structure of your body, of course. Right. And just like you mentioned before, like we also have like, um, you know, those with an Adam's apple that also changes the angle of attack that air passes over uh, the vocal folds. Um, and men just happen to be oftentimes just larger body and larger space. And that increased amount of space um, in their vocal tract and in, yeah, from the vocal tract mouth, um, that really makes the voice deeper. So another thing to, that we need to do to change from male to female is to decrease that amount of space. So, and it, uh, it's interesting that you bring up the the difference in sizes. Um, we often don't think about that. We don't think that we, we don't grok that vocal pitch is proportionally related to the the physical size of a being, and mm-hmm. uh, it's it's very easy to validate this. Think about a huge famous person. Generally speaking, male or female, they have lower voices. And then if you go to a much smaller person, they have higher pitched voices. I remember once watching some science thing uh, where they said, if you scaled up a normal human being to be 50 feet tall, their voice, mm-hmm. male or female, their voice would register down in the 50 to 100 hertz range of the frequency spectrum, which is verge verging on inaudibly low be just because of how much bigger the vocal folds would be because you can change a lot of things about the physiology of your speech you're not going to change the composition of air it's going to be mostly Mm -hmm. nitrogen a little bit of oxygen and a bunch of carbon dioxide and then in our case pollen you know um so those things aren't going to change that's what establishes pitch what you can do to alter pitch is learn how to manipulate your physiology in such a way that you can do it consistently and safely. Mm -hmm. And that brings me to a question. You can screw up your voice. (laughs) You can screw up your voice trying to change your voice too quickly. Can you speak to that a little bit? Honestly, it's something that I encounter pretty much on a daily basis in my line of work. That's kind of why I asked you the question. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. So like I said, my clients are often, um, really, really eager to get the voice that matches their gender and understandably so. And so with that eagerness often comes pushing the, the abilities too hard. It can come from, you know, practicing too long. So I only tell my, pra- or my clients to practice about 30 yeah, minutes a I day. I was just going to throw up the three because I say 30 minutes with a different voice. Max. Yeah. Yeah. Glad we agree on that. Mm -hmm. 30 minutes max. And so also, uh, I also don't tell my clients to often do, uh, the voice, um, all in one go. So not in just one 30 minute session, I often tell them to break it up into smaller chunks because we're also reworking, you know, muscle memory. So splitting that 30 minutes into, you know, three 10 minute sections is going to go have, or it's going to have a longer impact over time for, increasing muscle memory. And yeah, so some other things for just the voice being overworked is just, again, that whole thing about trying to force it out. And oftentimes it comes from restricting the airflow or it comes from shouting out the words or it comes from just tensing everything up in order to, you know, squeeze the sound out. And those are all such bad habits that without even realizing not even just going to accumulate, but those are going to be the habits that become muscle memory. And then that's going to bleed into all other areas of your voice as well. That's a very good point to make that um, you will develop muscle memory for bad habits in the exact same way that you will develop muscle memory for good habits. It just depends on which one you're choosing to do. And yeah, yeah. you keep doing the wrong thing. Your, your muscles are going to go, oh, we know how to do that. And then the next thing you know, you wind up having dysphonia. Uh, the uh, I'm going to touch back a little bit. The issue of yeah. stress. We talked about mental and emotional stress on the human voice, but what you just brought up is really salient to me, and that is the idea of vocal warmups and vocal work. Mm-hmm. When we are pushing our voice hard, 
we tend to not think of it in the same way as pulling a muscle in your leg. But it is absolutely no different. There is a reason why athletes warm up and do stretches both on in preparing for exertion and coming down from exertion. You can pull a muscle in your vocal tract, and it can, pardon the use of the pun, it can hamstring you really easily. What are some of the signals that your body sends mm -hmm. you where it's trying to get your attention that you're pushing things too hard? Uh, so that's actually a great question because, you know, when we're working with the voice, a lot of individuals push past it and they think that these things that are happening, that's just a natural response to changing the voice. And anything other than sounding completely natural and feeling free is, well, of course, not natural, not authentic. So um, those red flags for me when I'm listening to, you know, clients speak uh, could be a chopped quality to their voice. It could be like, hi, my name is Kylie. Um, I can see, you know, anything from the chest to the shoulders um, or like the strap muscles of the neck. Right. Um, activate. So if their shoulders are high or if those muscles are coming out, or I can even see that, you know, their jaw might be having a limited range of motion. Mm -hmm. Um, so jaw might be tightening. And if that's tightening, then I assume like the tongue root is also under a lot of stress as well. And just if the breath sounds like very light and airy. So like if I was talking like this, so and one thing that I often have to dispel is there's this wild notion out there that um, women's voices are very light and airy. Yeah. And then um, I always like, tell me a person's voice, you know, who sounds like this. That's not a character. Right. And it's not an authentic thing that women do because of in order to get that light and airy kind of voice, we're restricting airflow. Yeah, and you're that's all that's and, happening. And you're restricting it and you're pushing a lot of dry air mm -hmm. over mucous membranes that would really like moisture, and you're <laughs> ripping moisture away from them doing that. Uh and yeah. and yeah, that's just it. You know, my partner is a low alto. Um, she has a beautiful, sultry voice. Um, but I can tell when she's pushed her voice too much. She, you know, works on the phone quite a bit during the day. She comes mm -hmm. out. And she suddenly starts to sound like, uh, you know, uh, again, a little bit more Suzanne Plachette. Um, <laughs> let's talk briefly before yeah. we switch over to questions. Let's talk briefly about both vocal hygiene and oral hygiene, because, yep. yes, it's all important that we brush our teeth. OK, we we learned properly as children, but yep. we don't often translate that over to vocal hygiene. Mm -hmm. Speak a little bit about, because here, one of my biggest things is people are in the, the, the voiceover industry, we all live in mm -hmm. fear of mouth noises, clicks, pops, little sounds that we didn't intend to make that suddenly are the most prominent thing in our recording. Do you feel, because I have a solution that I put out to people that's slightly less obvious than most people think. Do you have any particular ways in which you help keep your oral environment a, a, a thing that helps support the health of your voice? Yeah. So for me, that really just comes down to, for just talking oral itself and just coming down to staying hydrated. And so, you know, that when the mouth is dry, you're going to, I myself hear those clickies, the, mm -hmm. that's, you know, sticky kind of saliva kind of smacks. And so I often just tell my clients, just take a small sip of water, just swish it around, get it in there. And, you know, um, and that's really for my line of work. Um, the oral stuff is not um, something that I actually focused on other than just how easy it is for them to work with their voice that day. Because right. for my industry, anyways, it's those clickies and all the, you know, clicky snacks those are authentic qualities that a lot of individuals have. True. And to get rid of that would be taking away of character and just who they are. And I think that that is a difference in approach between you and I, because you are addressing, you are addressing, often addressing people's voices out in the real world. Um, the booth is not the real world, kids. 
And uh, <laughs> that's the reason why, while I am a fan of hydration, I tend to steer, because we have this idea that hydration means drink piles and piles and piles of water. Um, I'm with you about a liter a day. If you honestly yeah. break up a liter a day into our segments that you're awake, you're not drinking that much water during a day. Uh, that's yeah. just pretty much kind of like keeping your tank full. But when it comes to, and this for me also applies to the voice, um, we have this idea that hydration is what solves mouth noises. And it's not hydration. It's not oral hydration. It's oral lubrication. And I'm a big fan of oral lubricants. Uh, and I got a bunch of them down in the description below. I use a particular brand, but they're all available over the counter. And they're primarily based in glycerin. And I noticed that when I started using that to treat my oral mouth noises, my voice lasted longer. I had more stamina in my voice. And part of that is because when you're constantly consuming water, you're washing away the entire bacterial culture built up in your mouth that's there to protect everything from here all the way down. And so I encourage people, if you are going to drink regularly, everybody likes tea. Don't drink tea when you're doing voiceover work. Uh, aside from the caffeine issue, tea has a number of things that dry your mouth out. But having said all that, when you're talking about vocal hygiene, what are some of the steps you take, especially yeah. if you know that you're going to spend the day talking? Let's just say you, you've looked at your calendar and you know I've got nine hours worth of blabbity blab in front of me. How do you ready yeah. yourself for that? How do you ready your voice for a long stretch? So for myself, that readiness doesn't start the morning of the day before. It starts a few days before. Um, so that can mean anything from, yeah, no alcohol for like three days before. It can mean, you know, cutting out caffeine, um, watching just uh, not even what we're consuming, but just how we're using the voice. So if we're to, you know, be doing a lot of like screaming or shouting, or even whispering, it's going to impact the voice. Oh, whispering is whispering's death to the voice. Oh my gosh, if you do yeah. that for a long time, you just feel so dry, everything from your chest all the way up to your sinuses. Yeah, it's just... The I, don't, I don't know how so the ASMR tension. people do it. I just... God. Yeah, it's horrible for the voice. And yeah, so if I have something very laborious to do, it comes from preparing a few days before and just being very cognizant of what I'm eating, what I'm consuming. Um, like I myself, I don't do any like drugs. I don't smoke. Um, like I don't do even drink alcohol anymore. And that's just as a way to protect the voice, um, you know, limiting salt con or intake of salts. Um, and also not eating um, a few hours before bed. So, you know, another thing that's often really detrimental to the voice is any sort of acid reflux. Like right. I really struggle with acid reflux. Mm -hmm. And so doing whatever I can to limit that. So, you know, no spicy foods or whatever happens to my trigger. Um, just because, you know, if I cut out a few days before, I'm also giving my body and my vocal folds enough time to recover from any sort of trauma that they have endured up to that point. So, so. we got, we're saying goodbye to caffeine, chocolate, spicy food, eating snacks in bed. You just make it sound like life is going to be a boring misery. <laughs> I'm kidding. What you're really well, bringing yeah. up, what you're really bringing up though, is something that I don't think enough people take into consideration. And that is our body is sending us feedback all the time about what it needs to operate at its fullest potential. And if we notice that, yeah, I had Thai food the night before, really spicy Thai food. And this morning when I got in the booth, I just, I didn't have anything there. We don't often allow ourselves to go, hmm, maybe it was my favorite takeout restaurant. And I think that that's something that people really need to be more aware of and accepting of and give space for. And that is your voice is a very, it's very robust but it's also very delicate at times. And if it mm -hmm. is presenting you something that says, hey, you might want to think about this, 
you might want to think about it because what's more valuable, having pod tie or getting that contract because your voice was in shape and you were able to perform the way the buyer expected you to. You've got to look at the whole palette of options in front of you and be willing to do kind of an A-B elimination thing and say, all right, well, I won't have spicy food tonight no matter what the family is having because I need to be in the booth tomorrow. Let's see if that helps. You know, it, it's, yeah. it comes down to, you know, in my world, it comes down to business decisions. That's going to get me money versus that meal is going to make me happy for five minutes. For you, yeah. quite often, it's helping people embody and be authentic and comfortable with who mm -hmm. and what and where they are. Yeah. So let's talk about authenticity, because that, of course, is the greatest struggle that a voiceover performer has. If you are doing some reading of the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, your authenticity probably not going to be in question because you're not going to be voicing Julius Caesar or, you know, Mark Antony. You're going to be voicing yourself reading historical facts. When you're mm -hmm. tasked with reading a story, telling a story, it's different. What are, what in your mind is the key to an authentic voice? Not necessarily a specifically gendered voice, but just yeah. an authentic voice. What makes a voice sound authentic? Well, first of all, it's just the natural quality of it. It's just how easy it comes to you and just how free that, you know, we're like, we're talking about before, just how free the air is to pass over and there's no struggle, there's no strain to the voice. But beyond that, Another thing that people often overlook is just body posture and what the body is doing while you are talking. So for instance, uh, men tend to have like a very A-shaped frame while they're talking. So, you know, that comes back down to like the whole man spread kind of thing. Right. And it's very open, very, you know, arms are out, lean back and legs are apart. And that really comes out in the voice. Whereas like a female's voice, Oftentimes they're a lot more clothes, you know, legs are crossed, could be arms are tucked beside them or, you know, folded in their lap. And it's just much more of a smaller frame. And that also comes out in the voice. Um, so it goes beyond, um, yeah, it goes beyond voice to mannerisms and what the body is doing. And those also add so much um, just color to the voice. Yeah. And I was super, when we were first talking a few weeks ago, I was really super excited to hear you talk about the integration of gesticulation and mannerisms in voice, because I think that's something else that is very often overlooked. Uh, I had somebody in my booth a couple of years ago, and they it was a, a man doing a female presenting voice and was literally standing there like they were at home plate with a baseball bat in their hand. And I'm just like, that is so not going to work. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, I, I want to be, I want to be clear here that, well, in my mind, there's no room in this discussion for being critical of people and how they approach doing a voice. This is, you know, in, in many cases, it's about making people feel comfortable with who they are. But in our case, this is learning best practices and tools to become the best performer possible. And the word performer brings me to uh, back to when you were talking about your dysphonia and how you really got help from the theater community. Speak yeah. to that a little bit and speak to how the, the theatrical approach to the voice might benefit a voiceover actor. Yeah. Um, so from what my observations were, or like for SLPs, um, they're kind of restricted to what they can share with you. It's the stuff that they have to offer is, you know, uh, stuff that's been, that's gone through like academic yeah, peer, um, testing. Yeah, and peer review peer and review. all that business. Yes. Yeah. Targeting the symptom, but not the cause. Right. Um, so when I'm wanting to work with authentic voice, you got to treat the whole body. And that's really what um, the theater community had to offer was a very holistic, organic approach of seeing the bigger picture of, okay, so you're having problems with your voice. Well, we're not even going to, you know, look at the voice. We're yeah. going to look at where your body is, like 
you're hunched over right now. You can see your shoulders are tense. You are, you know, your, your body has not let go of anything yet. And, uh, so yeah, just in regards to just the holistic body of just seeing the bigger picture, that's something that in order to be a performer needs to be, um, taught and just not even just taught, but lived because it's not your voice you're presenting. You're presenting yourself, your character. It's every last morsel of you yeah. that's being presented. So I'm, I'm um, a big fan of the idea of embodiment. Um, yeah. and I think that that's something where certain practitioners go, well, uh, you know, cause it essentially all gets dumbed down to, well, I don't want to act like a girl. Well, you know, suck it up buttercup. If you're being paid for it, you need to do this properly. And yeah. you know, like if I'm, if I'm delivering, if I'm delivering lines from a woman who's very lyrical, then I let myself gesticulate and I let my hand move and I, I, I allow it to actually move through me. And it doesn't mean yeah. that I'm not a man anymore. Uh, I, that, that whole thing quite often for me is silly. Do you want the proper tools in order to be the most effective at what you're doing? Or do you want to let some preconceptions of your body movement dictate how good you're going to be at something? And, eh. So yeah. as we start to wrap up, I've got a couple questions from our users, but I want you to touch briefly on how do you think it's give give one tip to a man doing a female voice and then give one tip for a female doing a man's voice on mic. Let's see if we can yeah. try that. Absolutely. Uh, so one big tip for a man trying to do a female's voice is really work on developing that resonance. And that's going to come from doing that 30 minutes of um, resonance exercises. So when you per when day. you speak of resonance, what are you exactly referring to? Yeah. So it's where, think of it as where the voice is living. Mm -hmm. So when we have um, kind of like the lower voice, you're going to feel that, you know, that sensation, that buzziness deep in the chest, like mm -hmm. down here. But what we're looking for, for female voice is either that oral facing front resonance. So it's going to be living in the mouth. Mm -hmm. So you might feel more vibrations either in the lips or in the mask, which is, you know, the eyes and foreheads. And so one way that, or a few, there's a few different ways that I you know, targets, um, those sensations, but first and foremost is usually just humming and with your hum humming, if we just take, well, the hum and increase its pitch, we can start to feel those vibrations and that buzzy sensation move. It's going to start in the chest. It's going to work its way up. And eventually you're going to feel it go to the front of the mouth in the area of like the lips, the gums, and they're going to start to tickle. They're going to start to buzz. Mm -hmm. And only then do you know that you've gotten the right spots. And then for the practice comes, you know, developing that ability to maintain that, not just for one or two seconds, but over weeks and weeks, it's doing a couple words to small sentences. And it's going to take three or four months before you can sustain it comfortably um, for as long as you need it. Right. How about a woman? Yeah. So for a, you know, uh, female to male, um, really comes down to, um, a lot of that body language. Um, so making sure that, you know, we're getting more open with the body and just that, um, we are taking away some of that melodic quality to the voice and replacing it with, um, volume instead. So right. women don't tend to use volume as a tool. Um, but men do. So they tend to like, um, bark, uh, is what it's known as. And so, yeah, men, men, just do men definitely, uh, um, uh, do a spread, do a man spread with their voice. We use volume in that way. <laughs> so hundred percent. Yeah, right. so, yeah. I'll demonstrate. So like low pitch and everything of like a masculine voice, but it would be like, dude, check out that car and whatever. That emphasis is coming from volume, not resonance, nothing else. Um, or just the fact that um, men tend to add pauses in their um, uh, in their speech, whether or when there would be um, punctuation. So instead of saying, um, like for women, like, I'll take a large coffee, please. Yeah. Um, male might say, um, I'll take a large coffee, please. Yeah. 
And to go back so, and to go back to the women, if women were doing the car line, it would be uh, more often it would be, "Hey, check out that car," you know, or run together. Yeah, just like, "Hey, yeah, like, oh, look at that car." Yeah, and even just something as small as um, women pronounce the ing at the end of like the word thinking. Yeah, whereas a man would take out that you know the sound and replace it with a. Thinking. Yeah, we don't and we don't do a whole lot by way of schwas in 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 <laughs> men's in men's speech. But to be clear, too, not all of this is pitch related, and I think nope. that that is the the biggest misconception about doing a different gender presenting voice is that you got to get wild with the pitch slider. Um, it, it's not. If you put in some of these other physical presentations in your read. They'll do a lot of the lifting for you because, yes. you know, I can be talking like this right now and sound like my male presenting self. But as soon as I kind of start to let my body do something different, I can just very easily and casually and comfortably slide into a different presentation and nothing has happened to the pitch of my voice. No. And that's one thing that I drive home because, again, even in my line of work, it is a misconception. And that's why... Like first and foremost, the first thing that we target is resonance before pitch. So one thing that I um, use as a um, something to make people understand the difference between um, resonances is think about like a trumpet compared to a tuba. Right. Um, they're both brass instruments. They both have, you know, all those wines in it. Um, all in all, they're not much different. So the only things that are um, different is really just the size of that um, vocal tracks that we're manipulating, and that's comes from developing right. those muscles and changing resonance, then changing the space in our mouth. And yeah, absolutely. So let's do some quick questions here. Um, number one, I've got uh, from my user Alex uh, says that uh, as humans, our ears are trained throughout life with what different genders sound like, and they find that even the best imitations can usually sound kind of off in some way. Are there any inflections or mannerisms which might unconsciously help to avoid this problem and suggest the gender you're aiming to portray? What are just some little tiny, almost like little jimmies you can put on a voice that will Absolutely. like just help move it towards a different presentation without being hand over fist about it? Of course. And just first and foremost, there is... No, like you've touched on, there is no right way or wrong way to be a woman or a male, but there are, because yeah, you can look at any number of voices and there's so many variations between it. Um, but there's certainly some things we can do to bring it more aligned to what is commonly known or thought of as female or male. So um, one thing um, would be intonation patterns. So men tend to drop their intonation at the end of a sentence. Yes. Like I'm going to the store. Yes. So um, I either tell my clients to either maintain that, um, yeah, maintain it or to increase it and kind of flick it up. So I'm going to the store or stuff like that. And so another thing that I always use in my practice, like every one of my clients knows that I'm very hard on them for actually using hand gestures to help them develop this because, um, so this comes back to just my days as a teacher that if we can tie in like a bodily kinesthetic um, thought to any sort of learned information, that it's going to be a lot easier for our brain to recall that information and that, to draw it later. That is so true. And that really does hold hands with what I was saying about gesticulation. You're right. Kinetics are like this super sneaky trick that you can play on yourself to embed a practice in your body that's mental. Um, or, yeah. or something that needs to be remembered. If you attach, like with this gesticulation here, if you attach something to this and you do this, it's suddenly right back there and it makes it so much easier, so much more effective and so much more sustainable over time. Yeah. And another thing is just, another reason I teach it is just think of, it, uh, of a conductor at the front of an orchestra and they are giving the cues of what to do. So if I, so for those who are watching, uh, just, um, 
one thing. So if I was to raise my resonance, I'd start with a hum and then I continue with the sentence and my hand would reflect what I'm doing. So mm, um, I'm going to the store. And so I flicked it up on the end and I balanced with each word and I can self-monitor and over practice doing this, our hand is going to start reflecting to what the, what the voice is doing. So even without realizing it, um, if we're trying to figure out what's going on with their voice, I tell clients, you know, bring out the hand, see what it's doing. Because if it's like falling down or if it's um, doing something it's not supposed to do, it's going to fall in the hand too. So it's a visual cue instead of an auditorial cue. Yeah, it's almost um, like it's like a barometer for what's going on inside that you might not actually be aware of. But as soon as you stop and go, oh, I'm just kind of like limping way down here. Maybe exactly. I need to. So it's, it's, it's a self-reference and it illustrates to you where the change needs to happen. Exactly. That's fascinating. Yeah, That's a great idea. Yeah. Um, my question, my next question comes from Jordan Etheridge, uh, and I referenced this a little bit earlier on in our talk. Uh, Jordan says, in addition to gendered characters, do you have any thoughts or advice on how to approach a specific call for an androgynous voice? And I understand where Jordan's coming from. You know, really in yeah. IndieVO and uh, in the world of fan dubs, we have a lot more representation of LGBTQAI and 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 essentially uh, quite often genderless or androgynous characters in a lot of mm -hmm. this material. And so there's actually a lot more of a call for androgynous or non-gender specific voices. What do you speak yeah. to? How, how can you bring an authentic androgynous voice? So for that, it really comes back to what I was talking about resonance and just the space of where the voice is living. Um, so like I said, for a female voice, that usually tends to be living either in the mask and by the eyes and forehead or the front of the mouth by the lips, um, whereas the masculine voice is deep in the chest. So finding that comfortable middle ground that we feel that vibration happening either in the back of our neck or even the back of our mouth. Um, and again, we can use a hum. Um, and specifically, um, humming on M. Mm -hmm. So when we hum, people want to do like an HM, like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right. And that does not produce enough vibration. So we want that solid M. So think like Homer Simpson drooling over a donut or something. <laughs> that's, and, that's my metric for so many things. <laughs> <laughs> so just that, mm, and so just doing that and doing a hum with just a solid M, those vibrations are going to be so pronounced. And when you raise that pitch of that hum, you're going to feel those vibrations change. And yeah, for the androgynous voice, we're going to be aiming for, like I said, the neck or, you know, back of the throats and back of the mouth. So, yeah. Idiomatically, what do you think some androgynous speech characteristics, not voice characteristics, but what do you think some androgynous speech characteristics might be that could be employed to help? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that kind of comes down to just what we were talking before about intonation and kind of pitch. And it's kind of um, a unique balance because there is, in my opinion, so especially with my community, with like androgyny and just non-binary community, that there's so many different plays on it. But one of the things that I commonly see is just uh, more flatter, um, pitch variants, so less articulation. I know you don't like your... Eh, you got to do what you got to do for the character. <laughs> you gotta, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that less articulation. So I say less, not none, because right. if we're just having none, then it's that yeah. vocal fry down here. We don't want that, yeah. so I just say less. Mm -hmm. um, and just, yeah, I think those are actually the two main ones that will have the biggest... Um, impact on achieving that um, quality of androgyny. I, I would agree. And I think the one thing that I know from, from the androgynous friends in my life that I've noticed over time is uh, holds hands well with what you said in that there's quite often uh, androgyny presents itself in a narrower bandwidth of vocal modulation. Um, it, 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 it's, it's a more very gentle movement as opposed to, uh, and, and, and what I was going to say, what I think is interesting is that we don't have 
you know, we're so often playing to a stereotype of a masculine voice or a feminine voice. We don't really have a good stereotypical androgynous voice to even no. use as a, a, a target. So yeah. um, what I found is that being able to keep yourself kind of even, but not monotone, it's not monotone, it's just in a narrower bandwidth, probably will help. But um, look, this has been an absolutely enlightening talk. Uh, Kylie, and I'm, I'm deeply appreciative of you making the time. Would you please do me a favor for all my viewers and listeners and run down where people can find you on the grand interwebs of things? Yeah, of course. Uh, so it's pretty easy to find me. Just um, my website and my brand is Voice by Kylie. Uh, so voicebykylie.com or you can find me on YouTube um, and Instagram. Uh, voice by Kylie. Um, so even though I've been doing vocal coaching for a few years, um, I've, I'm pretty late to the social media game. So I'm doing my hardest to like get back in there. Um, but content is coming every week and I'm, I'm diving in head first. So and you are, there's a lot more content. And you are come. really looking forward to working with voice actors as well. Um, not yes. just constraining your practice to uh, people needing to needing to find an authentic voice uh, for the public, but for actors who want to explore yeah. different gender presentations. And so uh, again, it's Voices by Kylie and it is K-Y-L-I-E. And uh, gosh, Kylie Wayne, thank you so much for spending some time with us. To everybody out there, all Kylie's information is down below. But until next time, this has been Booth to Booth. That's been Kylie Wayne. I've been Andrew Scott, and we'll see you in the booth. Bye-bye. From the beautiful Pacific Northwest, this has been Booth to Booth with Andrew Scott. Booth to Booth is a narrowband broadcast network production in association with andrewscottmedia.com. Andrew Scott, executive producer. Our theme music was written and produced by Ron Kajawa. Website design and maintenance by Vacano Creative. Christopher Vacano, webmaster. Available at VacanoCreative.com. Audio and video production by Andrew Scott. Available at AndrewScottMedia.com. Got topic ideas, questions, or comments for the show? Email us at patchin at boothtoboot.com or by simply clicking the link in the description. On behalf of host Andrew Scott, I'm Gwen Steele. From our booth to yours, Thanks for joining us. See you next time on Booth to Booth. NBBN. The Narrow Band Broadcast Network. The focus is on you.